with mortgage rates as low as they are right now, um, Raiden and I decided that you know, it may be a good time to revisit the whole conversation of mortgages. You may be thinking about uh, doing a refinance or doing buying a second home or maybe downsizing from your current home. So we brought in Lexi Rodriguez um, and she is a mortgage loan officer and she's going to kind of walk us through a bunch of different questions that we throw at her about mortgages, how you can qualify and, and everything around it. Yeah. And what I'm excited about on this one too, uh, Merce, is that, you know, we've had a few of our clients come in and they've talked to us about their kids and like, hey, uh, my kid, my child, my son, grandchild, whatever it might be, they want to buy a home. And I'm thinking about maybe bar loaning them some money or helping them out in some way to help them get this house. And we start working through all those numbers with them. But we actually talk about that on the show today, how to help a child or should you help a child? What are the rules around that? And Lexi takes us all through that whole process. So it, I think you're going to enjoy the show today. Uh, by the way, uh, we would like to just remind you, if you've not had a chance, if you could give us a five-star rating, uh, also give us a written review. We certainly do appreciate that. Uh, it certainly is helpful because we can be able to build shows around some of those comments. Also, don't forget, visit our website, pomwealth.net forward slash blog. I send you to that page first because that page has tons of articles and helpful uh, tips for you there if you're planning for or are in retirement. But uh, for now, we do have to do one quick disclosure, and then we'll get our show started. That's right. Well, we're not talking about specific numbers or anything like that, we still do have to tell you that the information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments carry different levels of risk. And as always, please contact your financial professional for advice specific to your situation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stansel and Merce Tariq. All right, everyone, we are super excited about today's podcast. And the reason why is because we're talking about a topic today that um, many, many people are asking us about, you know, the question of whether or not I need to do a refinance or I'm thinking about buying a house. And so, we wanted to bring on somebody who that's what they do. They specialize in this. And we have Lexi, Lexi Rodriguez with us today. And she is a mortgage specialist expert. And so she's going to kind of break down things for us and kind of the current environment. Uh, we hear things all the time. I know I hear, you know, rates are dropping. You should go to act right now. Also, uh, we have a lot of our clients that are thinking about down, downsizing. We have clients that are wanting to buy a second home whether it be at the mountains or the beach, or they're relocating and trying to figure out how to do that. So thank you so much, Lexi, for coming on our show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Excited to be here. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, Lexi, thanks a lot for joining us. I know mortgages right now and probably for the past year or so have been a really hot topic with the way rates have been going and everything like that. So before we dive into some specific questions, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, you, maybe your background and what, made, what led you into this profession? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I was actually an insurance agent before this. I uh, worked at State Farm. I've worked at Geico. And so that was that was my career path for a while there. And um, I don't know about you, but insurance is just not very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, started to get a little dry and I was working the nine to five and I was really, it was really just sucking the life out of me. And I was like, I want to make a change. And um, I've always had a passion for real estate when we've bought our personal homes, just searching homes and just learning about the market and the different loan types and just, it really all intrigued me. And so I had um, started thinking about real estate. How can I get into real estate? And initially I actually did think about becoming an agent. So I sat down with a realtor and kind of went over everything. And with me having three small kids, having to show homes on the weekend and at night and my husband's working full time. I just really didn't think that that was going to work out for me. So started leaning more towards the uh, mortgage side, sat down with my loan officer that we had for our previous home and talked to him about it. And within two months, I was licensed and ready to go. Very so, nice. I was excited. <laughs> okay, so now you've been doing mortgages now for some time. What do you love most about what you do? Like what when you do when you do this work within the mortgage world, like what gets you excited and go, wow, that was fun? Uh, really educating people. Uh, it's I guess you wouldn't say it's surprising, but a lot of people really don't know how the process works. Um, and there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, I need 20% down and a mortgage is going to be crazy expensive. So really opening people's eyes and educating them that you can get into a home for fairly low down payment to no down payment, depending on the loan type. Um, and you can save a lot of money, you know, based on renting versus buying. Um, you can definitely get yourself into a decent sized home um, for less than you may be renting for now. And I also just love helping people that may feel like they didn't have a chance so that they wouldn't be able to qualify. Our company has a credit building program that we're able to offer. And um, so I've had tons of clients that were not qualified initially and within six months we're getting them into their dream home. Um, so that to me is very rewarding along with uh, just mortgages in general for me and my uh, career path, it's very rewarding in many ways. So there's a lot to love about it, but there's a lot to uh, not love about it. Also, <laughs> it's stressful, but it it keeps me keeps me going, keeps me active for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say you're in the right place because that's the whole reason as to why we started this podcast uh, about a, a little bit over a year ago. Is we just wanted to get some education out there on various topics when it comes to retirement and planning for retirement and mortgages, real estate, that's a big part of it. So um, uh, I say we dive right in and start talking about some of the specifics. And my question is, is what type of income do I have to have in place to qualify for a mortgage? And so just to remind you, our clientele is pretty much someone that is close to retirement or already in, re in retirement, so 50 plus. Um, so what type of income are you, you looking for there for uh, for them, them to be able to qualify for a mortgage. And we're not talking, by the way, I didn't mean to interrupt. We're not talking about the amount of income. We're talking mm -hmm. about the types of income. Types so, of income. Yeah. Sorry. So like, you know, they yeah. might, if they've already retired, they may not have a W-2 coming in anymore. Right. Absolutely. So any um, permanent income that can be verified and what we consider permanent income is income that is expected to last three or more years. Um, so you could certainly include social security, 
um, pension, uh, self-employment, we can include as long as you have been filing your taxes for at least two years on that. And with self-employment income, we actually use um, your net amount. So the amount after all of your expenses. So that is one thing that can kind of deter people because you know you typically write a bunch of stuff off with your self-employment so you don't owe a lot um, however when it comes to mortgages that can actually hurt you there so we can always take a look um, see where you're at and see where maybe next year what you need to file at um, and for social security um, for instance if you did have a child that maybe is 16 and you're re receiving a social security for them but it's set to stop at 18 we wouldn't be able to use that since that three-year rule um, we can use pension um, rental investment income as long as you've been filing that for two plus years on your taxes we can use that income as well um, so really anything that can be verified on paper that is expected to last three or more years. Now we've had a couple of questions on that and I don't know, and I'm only asking this for like kind of an update, so to speak. So we've had clients who let's say retired and then um, let's say they've got a, an IRA or a 401k with us. And so they say, okay, I'm trying to do a refinance and they want us to be able to prove income. And I didn't know about the three-year thing, but let's just go that I want to prove income. And so the lender has asked that we write a letter or show some verification that, that, that this, because they had not been getting this income, they just retired, but we're gonna start, they're gonna start getting income and they want some kind of verification that this income will last for a certain period of time, that it, we can prove that it would last, so to speak. I guess that would work too, maybe? Yes, that would work. Okay, all right, good. So, I, uh, so does, does asset size count? So let's say, you know, maybe they haven't, or they've just retired, but they really have no actual income coming in the door. Um, but they've got a million dollars in a, in a, in a 401k. Does that, does that have any weighting at all? Or is it, is it purely just kind of, you got to have the income flowing in and we have to go to the advisor to get that letter that says, Hey, this, this asset can actually produce this type of income. Yeah. It, it assets aren't included in your monthly income, uh, ratios that we're calculating against that debt to income ratio. Um, but assets certainly do help with qualifying purposes. So the more assets you have, um, which we consider that a compensating factor, the higher the debt to income ratio and kind of the more we can qualify you for. Um, so it does go in, definitely goes into the qualifying, um, aspect of things, but not towards your monthly income. Gotcha. So I've got one uh, follow-up question to something you said in the beginning. So uh, we told you before we started this interview that, you know, a lot of our clients are like Merce just said, you know, usually 50 plus, but what we do have quite a bit. Um, and it made me think about it as we were starting our discussion is we have parents uh, that are now retired, right? And then they've got their children or grandchildren, either one, who they're thinking, hey, I want to buy a house. So they come to us sometimes, the parents do, and they say, hey, my son or my daughter and son-in-law or my, you know, whatever it might be, they want to buy a house and they really don't have enough money to put down because it's just what you said earlier. They don't know if they have enough money to put down. So they start talking to us about what do you think about if we take money out of our assets and loan it or give it to our children for a down payment and then let them pay us back. You know, and we tell them all the problems with that because, you know, you have to kind of be pretending like you're giving the money away because they may not pay you back, blah, blah, blah. But you said that, you know, and what what is the current status right now? If, you've, if I've got a, per, a person listening who's trying to help their son or daughter or whatever, 
and, and they know they don't have a ton of money to put down. What kind of are those qualifiers right now um, on money down? Yeah, so that, that would be considered a gift. So we definitely want to make sure that they're not expected to pay that back. So we'd actually get a gift letter, um, have that verified that that's not the intent um, and have both parties sign. And we'd need some bank statements as well, just to source where, where the money came from. Um, Cause they do want to ensure that none of the down payment has been loaned from any source. So, you know, you can't pull that from a credit card or a personal loan and, and then apply that towards the loan. Um, so just sourcing that out um, on any loan type, the down payment can be gifted. So that's available for any of those loan types that do require a down payment. Um, so it's really just a matter of being able to source it. We'd have to get a bank statement, 60 days worth from the donor, um, clarifying that that money has been in their account um, and where it came from. Okay, very good. And then if let's say the parents decide, you know what, this is probably a bad idea. I'm not going to do this. What mm -hmm. is the, what's kind of the qualifier now for a person buying a house and what they need to expect for themselves to put down? I mean, I know, you know, some people we talk about all the time, put 20% down, so, you know, everybody says, well, I don't have 20%. So kind of what, and you mentioned earlier that you could do little to no down payment. Are there, what are the qualifiers for that? So we, we're in Fayetteville, so we have a lot of military here in our town. Um, so VA, of course, you know, zero down, 100% financing. Um, to qualify for that, you just need to have served or are currently serving um, reserves, National Guard, to qualify for that VA loan, and um, that one's zero down. And then we also have a USDA loan, which is zero down. So that one is just... Um, it has income caps. So they actually just increased the income cap restriction to a family of four is 90,000 for the year. Um, so you can't make too much money on that one. And also the actual location of the home has to be eligible. So there's actually a website where you can go on, search in the address that you're interested in and see if it's USDA eligible. Um, so that one's zero down. And then we have FHA, which is a government loan. It's three and a half percent down. Um, that loan actually allows for a non-occupying co-borrower. So if, you know, for instance, that parents are thinking about maybe co-signing for their child as well to help them out with getting qualified, you know, not planning on living in the home, that loan will allow for that. Um, a conventional loan will not. Um, so conventional loans are as low as 3% for a first-time home buyer and 5% for not a first-time home buyer. And what we consider a first-time home buyer is that you haven't had any um, ownership in a home in the past three years. So if you owned a home 10 years ago, you sold it and that's out of your name, you're considered a first-time home buyer again. Is there a, um, uh, would you say that there is a, a, a good amount to put down? So let's say you, you've got the money and you can put down whatever you wanted to, is there, is there an amount that's gonna distinguish between what type of rate you get? So say, you know, you have plenty of money to put down 20%, but what you say, I only wanna put down 5%, is that gonna affect your rate versus putting down the 20? It does, it does affect your rate. So I would always, especially if you're doing a conventional loan, which conventional is the best loan type that you can qualify for, putting that 20% down, um, Xing out that mortgage insurance is gonna save you 
quite a bit and then you have equity in the home and you have that um, investment started and you're not, you know, if you had to turn around and sell the home, you know, six months from now, you're not upside down on your loan. Um, so I would always recommend 20%. If you can even put 25, that actually helps with an even better rate, putting that 25% down. Hmm. Okay. So um, the next question I think is, and it's not really age specific. So this really goes to anyone that is anyone that's been in a house, but they're ready to transition to another house. And I think one of the things that can make that really nerve wracking is, well, how do I do this process? Because I've got a mortgage here and I'm going to pick up another mortgage for the second house. And I ultimately am going to sell the first house. So how, what do people need to be thinking about when they're thinking about transitioning or upgrading to another house, but they have a mortgage currently? Yeah, so we get that a lot, actually. Um, and it's a pretty seamless process as long as both sides are... Um, you know, going uh, as planned at the same time. Right. So we have a lot of clients that actually will close on the sale of their current home and the sale of their new home in the same day. Um, so what we can do is whenever they get pre-qualified, we go through the application with them. We ask them questions. Are you planning on keeping this home? Are you planning on renting it, selling it? Um, what is the plan here? And we can actually issue a contingent pre-approval letter. So we have you pre-approved for a new purchase contingent upon your current home selling. That way they can go ahead and start looking, start making offers. They can go under contract on their new home. Um, and they just wouldn't be able to close on the new home until they have sold their existing home, if it was a contingent pre-approval. Gotcha. I had a, we were... Before we were in our current house, we were in a townhouse and I had a situation where that exact situation, really, uh, we were building our current house that we're in right now, but building, you know, you never know if it's going to take five months or is it going to take seven months. So we actually were fortunate to where we sold our house, did the closing and then rented back to the new buyer. So we actually had the ability to kind of stay in our townhouse as long as we needed to. I don't think that's very common. Our realtor brought that up. She said, you guys got really lucky to be able to rent back to the house that you've just sold. Um, so I think we lucked yeah. out there, but yeah, yeah. there are options and out Definitely, there, there's, there's so many moving pieces when it comes to just in general selling a home and then in general buying a home. So when you're doing both at the same time, um, there's so many different parties involved. You have the buyers of your current home, the sellers of the new home and listing agents, buyers agents, and just so many different um, parties involved, a lot of moving pieces, but Oftentimes it, it goes pretty well. So <laughs> we, um, we try to make it as easy and stress-free as possible. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, Get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. 
Well, good. Well, we want to talk a little bit about a scenario that we have come up in conversation quite a bit, and that is a second home. So we've got a couple different scenarios we're going to throw at you to see like, you know, how we might, how the person might have to think it through. So let's say that I own my home now, or I'm paying, I'm buying my home right now. I have a balance that has a payment, but I want to buy a house somewhere else. I mean, in addition to this home. So I want a second home, wherever it may be. And so I want to buy this second home. Is is there a different criteria now that I have to go through for qualifying, or is it just simple as simple as can I afford it? Like what what do I have to do there if it's a second home compared to my primary? Yeah. So on on the application, it's actually going to ask you if this is for your primary or secondary home. So you're gonna that's really the only thing you change in the application is the fact that that is going to be the second home. That way, when I'm running through the application. I know that you intend to keep that mortgage. Um, so I am going to have to use that mortgage payment against your debt to income ratio as well as the um, estimated new mortgage. So we would ha- have to qualify, you know, debt to income ratio wise, and you'd also have to qualify for a conventional loan. Um, that is the only loan type that will allow for a second home. And the current requirements with my company for a second home is 10% down. Um, in addition to that, you need to have three plus months of reserves. Um, so reserves are the amount left in your accounts, basically, after all of your down payments, closing costs have been paid. Um, so three months worth of mortgage payments in your account after all of that has been paid. Hmm. So okay. there's a couple extra steps um, and a little bit more requirements for a second home, we just want to make sure that you do have the financial stability to be able to support two homes. So now yeah. you said something earlier. Sorry, Marissa, I got one follow up on that. Go ahead. Okay. So, so you said something earlier that I I thought in my brain I don't guess it would work because you said you can't bar you can't owe the money back for the down payment. So let's say I have a house now paid off. I got an equity line of credit on my home, my my primary home. And I'm going to take out $150,000 to go make my down payment on my second home. That that wouldn't work, right? Because I owe that money back. That is a good question. <laughs> I've never had anyone do that before. Um, in my opinion, I think that that would be allowable because you do have that equity. It's, it's, it's yours. Um, you're just taking it out and using it. So that is something that I would definitely have to check into. Um, but Okay. I can go I'm just sitting here daydreaming about like, you know, how this <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, that is a great question. You can tell Raiden is ready to pull the trigger on a second home. It looks <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> so um, I mean, and I think that makes perfect sense. If you're going to have a second home, it should be a little bit harder to qualify because, well, I mean, we saw what happened in 2008 where mortgages were pretty much just handed out. And so we got to, we got to be pretty particular these days um, uh, to make sure people can qualify and actually, you know, take on that, that uh, commitment for whatever it is, 20, 30 years. Um, but you mentioned this term a couple of times, debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. And on, on when you just, I think it makes sense to a degree, but what are you guys looking for when it comes to debt to income ratio? Like what's that percentage there that makes you a very um, desirable uh, borrower? Yeah. And ex- explain what it is. Yeah, so debt to income ratio is where we take your total monthly income and that's before tax. So if you are working full time, we're going to use your gross monthly income. 
um, and divide that by your total monthly liabilities. So liabilities that we include are anything really that's on your credit report. So car payments, current mortgages, uh, credit cards, finance furniture, things like that that are showing up on your credit report. We're not using car insurance or cell phone bills or anything like that. So we take your total monthly, and I had that backwards, sorry. We take your total monthly debt and divide by your total monthly income. And that is how we come up with your percentage. So just a really easy math. If you make $3,000 a month and you have 1,500 in total monthly liabilities, your debt income ratio is 50%. Um, now, as far as what is the magic number, it's different for every loan type. Um, and it's different for compensating factors as well. So a lot of times we can get away with a higher debt to income ratio. If you do have money in the bank, um, your credit score is strong, you haven't had late payments, um, you know, maybe we could get away with a much higher debt to income ratio than for someone that has a lower credit score that only has a month of reserves in their account and maybe they have some medical late payments or something like that. So it really depends. Um, but I always review that with a client. Um, a lot of people wanna know what, what is my max that I can go to? So we have um, what's called an automated desktop underwriter and that's a Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae have their own automated uh, underwriting system that once we have all the information in, the application is filled out completely. We have all of their asset information put in, their liabilities. We actually go in and we run this automated underwriting system and it gives us an approve or it gives us a refer. So if we're able to get an approve with that higher um, debt to income ratio, then we're good to go. So it really depends on a lot of factors though. And I'm sorry, because my brain's a little slow on this. Is my debt to income ratio including my new potential house payment? Yes. So there's what's called a front end and a back end. So we're we're doing the back end, which is all inclusive. So all of your monthly debts and your, your estimated mortgage payment, that is what we're really using um, as the main qualifying debt to income ratio. But you do have what's called a front end, which is not including that. Um, so you will actually have two, you might have a 29% and a 50%. Those, both of those numbers matter, but the big one matters the most. <laughs> All right, good. So, you know, uh, we, you mentioned credit score. So we want to talk a little bit about the credit score. I'll tell you this, when I was young, I had no concept of what a credit score even meant. My son, he just turned 18 and uh, he now is like, you know, we, I had, Basically, he has a debit card, and then I had a credit card that I added him to. So now he said, hey, Dad, I want to get my own credit card. And I'm like, okay. So we, our little project we have is we're going to go pull his credit score, see where he's at, and try to see if we can't get his own credit bill. But in this idea of credit score, you mentioned it. You said if your score is strong, could you just give us an understanding of, the, of what that means for somebody? Like, the, what does it, at what point am I considered strong? And, and then... What does it mean if I'm not strong? <laughs> yeah, so 680 and above is ideal. Um, if you can get your score to 640 and above, that's going to qualify you for the best rates. However, 680, 680 to 719 it still are good qualifying um, scores as well. We can do as low as a 600 with my company. 
for certain loan types. So VA and um, FHA, we can go as low as 600. Uh, USDA is 640 and conventional is 660. Um, so we can go lower. I always, if, if their scores are on the lower end, I still like to run that credit simulator, the little credit building tool that we have, just to kind of give them options like, you know, this is your score now. This is what I can qualify you for with the interest rate. This is what your estimated mortgage payment would be. This is how much you're going to pay in interest over 30 years versus if we can get your score to 740, this is what I could qualify you for on an interest rate. This is your mortgage and this is how much you'd pay in interest. So I like to give those options um, because sometimes it's just a matter of paying down a credit card, you know, get it below that 30% usage rate and your score is now jumped 25 points. I mean, it's sometimes pretty simple stuff and it just makes more sense to do it that way. But, you know, if somebody's in a rush and they're ready to go and they need it now, then, you know, we do have those options for lower credit scores as well. So I learned a little trick on that one. So I have uh, basically all of my bills I pay on a credit card. I have one, my wife has one, and we pay all those bills. And so basically the way it works is, is whatever we buy, we put it on our individual credit cards and then I pay it off when I get the bill. I just, we don't carry any debt on that. Mm-hmm. Well, one time I, I, for whatever reason I paid. So, okay, let's just say I have this credit card. It shows a balance every single month and I'm paying it off and, it, and, it, and my credit score is fine. But anyway, one day I paid it off prior to the due date. So when it came in, my bill came in and said, you owe zero. And I had just done it the day before my score popped up like 20, 25 points because yeah. I paid, it didn't show a balance that month. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, if I were going to do a loan and I needed 20, 25 points, do it that way and just Absolutely. make sure you pay it off early. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that little tool. You'd be surprised how quickly you can get your score up by doing um, simple things. So I like to run that. And, and a lot of times people are like, my credit's terrible, but I'm just going to fix it. And then I'll come to you. And I'm like, well, let me look at it because they do, some things can actually hurt your score. You're paying off a collection account that you had six years ago. That's not going to help. It can actually harm your score more than it can help. And that may be not something that we needed you to do anyways. Um, so I like to run that little tool on anyone that is interested in getting uh interested in becoming a homeowner in the near future, let me get you on the right track. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to try to pay down debts, it would make sense to, you know, put pay down the right debts that are going to help you positively. Yes. Um, So I think that makes good sense. I think we have time for maybe one more question and that's um, so a lot of our clients, they've been in their house for 20, 30 years. They haven't done this process in a very long time, but maybe now they're thinking about downsizing or, getting that second home or whatever it is. So can you just remind us as far as what the overall lending process is? What are those steps that they have to take and the best way to do that? Yeah, so the first step is definitely to get pre-qualified. And I always recommend getting pre-qualified first before you start looking at homes um, for a couple of reasons. The market is crazy right now. If you find a home that you love and you're ready to make an offer, and you're not not pre-approved, you can't make an offer. So absolutely get pre-approved first. Let's figure out how much uh, your budget is, how high you can go, how much we can lend to you, um, and if that's going to work for you. And um, you can do so by going online for me on my website, and it takes about five to 10 minutes, super easy stuff. 
once I get the application, I review the credit report, um, the application, debt to income ratio. Then I give the borrower a call to go over all the financial uh, numbers, estimated payments, interest rates, all that good stuff. And then at that time is when I would issue a pre-approval letter and I would send that to both the borrower and the agent. And then you can start making offers. Um, once you've gone under contract, we get that, we go uh, into underwriting. So that is phase two. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's where it can be a little bit um, more of a waiting game because underwriting, once we get the file in there, depending on what our volume is like and how quickly um, the file is closing, it can take a week, a week and a half or so. And they're basically just doing a more in-depth review of your finances, your credit worthiness, uh, your assets, you know, they're doing a, a very thorough review of the file just to make sure it makes sense that this loan is right for you. Um, then they usually issue what's called a conditional approval. So maybe we need a couple more things. Maybe we need an extra bank statement or we need you to explain um, a large deposit on your account or something like that. Um, so once we have that conditional approval, we get the remaining items needed from the borrower, submit that back to the underwriter, and we wait for that final approval. Um, during that period as well, we'll be ordering an appraisal, waiting for that to come back, just to make sure that the home is worth what we are lending um, and that there's no major repairs that need to be done. And if so, that would need to be cleaned up before we could close on the loan. Um, once we have that final approval, we issue a closing, an initial close, closing disclosure just to go over how much you need to bring to closing, um, you know, the APR, your estimated mortgage payment. Well, at that point, it won't be estimate, estimated. It would be um, your actual mortgage payment. Just go over all those numbers and then three days, close on the home, sign all the paperwork and get your keys. So it can move fairly, fairly quickly. Um, we're, our typical closing turnaround is 30 days, but we can do a little bit earlier if needed. Um, so it's a pretty pretty straightforward process at this point. Very good. Well, I tell you, Alexa, you have uh, been a wealth of information for us today. We really do appreciate it. Just walking us through something that we don't do every day. You do it every day. So you've made it super easy and simple for us. If uh, people listening to this wanted to contact you or get more information from you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my website has all of my contact information. So it's just loanwithlexi.com. So L-O-A-N-W-I-T-H-L-E-X-I-E.com. And on there, I have my email, my phone number. You can schedule a consult. You can get pre-approved. So that is the best way. <laughs> well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly do appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. 
Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.